Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 0372. God shit. During my time as an agent for the Redwood Bureau, I personally saw several objects and life forms which were undeniably of extraterrestrial origin. Humankind is not alone in the void, nor are we the only beings who have evolved to a higher level of consciousness. However, this leaves us with many unanswered questions. Where are they? Are they malignant or benign in nature? And the most disturbing question of all, would we survive a large-scale encounter with such a highly evolved alien civilization? These questions are very important when considering RBP-0372. Godshed. 
Godshed is an anomalous substance of extraterrestrial origin. It is somewhat reminiscent of the angel hair phenomenon, as both are associated with unidentified aerial activity. However, this is where the similarities end. Angel hair is wispy and fibrous in appearance, and it rapidly disintegrates with little or no effect on the environment. Exposure to god shit, however, has proven to be nothing short of disastrous for localized ecosystems and their inhabitants. Because of the deleterious effect it has on both living creatures and their surroundings, Godshed has been assigned threat level disastrous. Although RBP-0372 is a very serious threat to the well-being of our planet, the directors of Redwood Bureau are equally concerned about its source. Using my connections in federal law enforcement, I was able to meet with a theoretical astrophysicist who was employed as a consultant on the Godshed case. I will refer to him by the alias Dr. Thomas for his own protection. Be forewarned, if you suffer from existential anxiety, you will find this story to be very disturbing. The following is a transcript of Dr. Thomas's testimony. I was first contacted by Redwood Bureau in the spring of 1998. I got a phone call from someone named Mr. Jones, who offered me a job as a consultant on what he described as a very sensitive case involving artifacts that were left behind by UAP activity. At the time, I was an associate professor at the University of blank blank, and frankly, I had no interest in taking a leave of absence to go play make-believe. When the phone call ended, I still had no clear idea who these people were or what they wanted from me. All I knew was that it had something to do with UFOs. Now, their offer was very generous, but in the end, I decided it wouldn't be a fruitful use of my time. I called them back and told them, I'm sorry, but if you want me to even meet with your team, You'll have to give me a retainer of $20,000 in cash. I thought that would be the end of it, but not even an hour later. A guy in a dark suit showed up at my office at the university. He handed me $20,000 in a manila envelope and said, The Bureau would like to hear from you soon. I stared down at all that money on my desk and I thought, whoever they are, these people certainly don't suffer from a lack of funding. Anyway, as both a scientist and a natural skeptic, I didn't believe in the existence of UFOs. To me, the whole ufology thing seemed like pseudoscience. The foundation of any science is numbers and data, not eyewitness accounts and hearsay. With that being said, they were offering me an awful lot of money. With that kind of cash hanging in the balance, I felt it would be prudent to meet with their team and see what this was all about. I was taken to Rutherford Heights and found myself in a boardroom with some of the top scientific minds in the country. We all engaged in some nervous small talk while we waited, but none of us knew what was going on. To be honest, everyone looked sort of embarrassed to be there. Academia isn't always a very lucrative career path in terms of financial gain. None of us could resist the money, and some of them were genuinely curious about this so-called alien artifact. No matter how serious you are about your work, 
everyone has an imagination. The man who we all knew as Mr. Jones eventually walked into the room, and the first thing he did was make everyone sign a non-disclosure agreement. He gave us a brief overview of the situation, and then a few burly gentlemen wheeled in a display case made from a thick block of lead-shielded glass. The material inside the case didn't look terribly ominous, to be honest. It looked like a cross between a pile of twigs and a bundle of wire. The bundle was textured in a way that reminded me of tree bark, but it also had a dull sheen that suggested a metallic composition. Very unusual, but I was expecting something a little more dramatic in appearance. No one had a clue what it was made of or what it was supposed to do. A biochemist finally spoke up and asked, What is this? What are we looking at? Mr. Jones shrugged at him and said, We're not sure. All we know is that it kills everything it touches. We're hoping you folks can fill in the blanks. According to Mr. Jones, this material had recently been recovered from a farm in Iowa. The farmer witnessed several objects resembling large metallic balloons floating down into his bean field. When they touched the ground, they disintegrated with a loud bang and ejected a bundle of tough, wiry substance with immense force. The farmer was understandably freaked out by this, and he immediately contacted the police. The officers who answered the call had no idea what they were looking at, or what they should do with it. The farmer helped them gather the bundles into some plastic garbage bags, and they stowed them in the trunk of the police cruiser. They all wore rubber gloves to be cautious, but a thin layer of neoprene on your hand isn't going to protect you from exposure to Godshed. That's like wrapping yourself in aluminum foil and running into a raging house fire. As soon as they touched it, their fates were already sealed. The cops left the bags in the trunk when they got back to the precinct, which undoubtedly saved the lives of many of their co-workers. By the time they'd walked across the parking lot and stepped inside the building, both of them started to feel nauseated. They also complained of an intense burning itch in their hands. Within 45 minutes of exposure, they were running a high fever, and they developed a rash of painful blisters on their hands. In the meantime, the farmer also became ill and was rushed to the hospital by his wife. The two patrolmen arrived by ambulance soon after. The doctors managed to stabilize their fever, but their overall condition continued to deteriorate, and I mean that in a literal sense. The rash spread all over their bodies. It crawled across their eyeballs, up their noses, and inside their mouths. When the blisters popped, what was left of the skin just dripped off their bodies like candle wax. There was nothing the doctors could do except keep them sedated and watch as they rapidly turned into puddles of slime on their hospital beds. Even after death, their tissues continued to break down until there was nothing left but a skeleton and a soiled mattress. Even their bodies were found to be riddled with dozens of holes and deep cavities. No one had ever seen anything like it before or since. To avoid the possibility of contaminating the rest of the hospital, the entire wing was put under quarantine. At this point, the farmer's wife had also been hospitalized. She hadn't come into direct contact with Godshed, but she did go out to examine the landing site after the police had left. Her shoes had touched the contaminated soil, and that was all it took to seal her fate. From what I understand, the entire field was excavated to a depth of five feet, the soil was dumped into dozens of metal shipping containers. I have no idea what became of them. I imagine they're being held somewhere by Redwood Bureau, but who knows? We can only hope they never fall into the wrong hands. The FBI were called in to investigate. 
When it became apparent this incident was far beyond their usual scope of operations, they contacted Redwood Bureau. The Bureau moved in and claimed all the evidence, including the melted bodies of the deceased, their hospital beds, and the police cruiser. They were stored in a concrete bunker, and they're probably still there. No one knows how long it will take before it's safe to examine their remains. The hospital room where the victims died were sealed off with cement, and they will remain that way for as long as the hospital is in operation. As I recall, the entire farm was declared contaminated ground and fenced off with barbed wire. They concocted a story about a farming-related chemical spill, and it all got buried in red tape by the Bureau. They're very good at making things disappear. So, there I was, working with a team of scientists from a variety of backgrounds, all of us striving to figure out the answers to some very pressing questions. We discovered that Godshed has a devastating effect on a cellular level. It damages their membranes and scrambles their DNA, which renders them incapable of reproducing. The result is a complete breakdown of all living tissues. Only fingernails and hair remain intact. Everything else is destroyed. It's an awful death. To be blunt, the only treatment option is euthanasia. The sooner, the better. It wasn't long before we more or less understood its chemical composition, but we didn't understand why these chemicals were behaving the way they did in this particular combination. To illustrate what I'm talking about, let's say you have a set of Lego blocks and you build stuff with it every day. You learn from experience that there's a limited number of shapes and variations you can create with your Lego set. You've tinkered with it thousands of times and the results are always predictable. The exact shape and purpose of the objects you build might vary, but at the end of the day, it's still just a lump of plastic blocks. At the same time, a kid from a different neighborhood takes the same Lego set and builds a crazy contraption that doesn't even make sense. They leave it on your doorstep without a word of explanation and you find it sitting there one morning, this wild-looking gizmo that shouldn't even be possible. So you take it inside to figure out how it works. You discover the other kid has somehow customized the blocks so they can fit together in ways you barely understand. Even so, it still doesn't make any sense how this thing can even exist. After all, it's just Lego. And then, the contraption kills you. And it kills your parents, too. It kills anyone who enters your house, and there's a strong possibility it'll continue to do so long after the house has fallen down and decayed into dust. This is basically the situation with Godshed. We know what it's made of, and we know the kinds of things you would expect to be able to build with those materials, but Godshed throws all of these expectations out the window. No one could even begin to wrap their heads around it. Now, at that point in the investigation, nobody was referring to this stuff as Godshed. I accidentally coined that term a number of years later. During my first stint as a consultant on the Godshed case, we either referred to it by its case number, or we just called it The Bundles. We didn't know the truth yet, I'll get back to that in a bit. Anyway, when I started working on this case, my first question was, why did this happen? That wasn't something we could answer, at least not yet. So the next question was, where did it come from? I can say with a good deal of confidence that no other forms of intelligent life have evolved anywhere in our solar system. None of the other planets are capable of supporting complex forms of life. There are a handful of frozen moons which could theoretically support life in vast oceans beneath the ice cover, but I doubt these creatures would have been able to build a spaceship and visit planet Earth. Having never seen the sky, 
They wouldn't even be aware of the possibility of other planets. They would have no reason to even think of building a spaceship. So I felt I could safely rule them out, if they even exist. With this in mind, it seemed the creators of Godshed must have come to us from a different star system. The problem with exploring this theory is the immense distance between our sun and every other star in our galactic neighborhood. The closest star system is Alpha Centauri, and that's over four light years away. All the other stars are so far away, we can't even get a direct look at the planets that orbit them. We can only deduce the existence of these planets by observing light changes in the magnitude of a star, which is a measure of how bright a celestial object shines in our night sky. When a planet passes between a star and our line of sight here on Earth, we can see a slight dimming effect on the star. Anything beyond this method of detection is basically an educated guess. These distances would make regular travel between our worlds highly impractical through conventional means. If you could travel at the speed of light, it would take over four years to reach the closest star. The acceleration period would have to be very gradual, or it would kill the crew on board. Likewise, they would need a very gradual speed reduction in order for the crew to survive their arrival. Once their craft reached the speed of light, everything in front of them would look like a brilliant point of light surrounded by darkness. The crew would be forced to rely solely on computers for navigation, and they could only hope the time dilation effect wouldn't send them wildly off course. However, navigation would be the least of your worries. According to Einstein's theory of relativity, the faster an object moves, the more mass it will possess. By the time you reach the speed of light, the crew and their vessel would have infinite mass and therefore would require infinite energy to continue moving. It simply isn't possible. The only other way to bridge this unfathomable gap is bypassing three-dimensional space and time altogether. Traveling through wormholes is a long-standing trope in science fiction, but even though wormholes could theoretically exist, I have grave doubts concerning their viability as a mode of transportation. They would be very unstable, and there would be virtually no way to predict where you would arrive on the other side. You might find yourself in an entirely different universe. We don't know for sure what would happen, but it's doubtful the outcome would be favorable for the crew or their ship. The most realistic scenario I could imagine was a long and arduous journey on a multi-generational space arc. For reasons I could only begin to guess at, these intrepid space pioneers had set up shops somewhere within our own solar system. They could easily be lurking anywhere in the outer solar system, where they could remain undetected and observe us at their leisure. We'd never even suspect their presence. This all brings us back to the question, why? Considering the devastating effects of this unwelcome artifact from the heavens, I felt it might be an act of aggression. I wondered if the incident in Iowa was meant to be a test run for mass chemical warfare. I found this idea to be extremely unsettling. There was nothing stopping our unseen nemesis from dropping a massive deluge of this deadly compound across the entire planet. It would be the end of all forms of life on Earth, now and forever without destroying the planet itself, and we would be powerless to stop them. The longer I worked on the Godshed case, the more obsessed I became with this apocalyptic scenario. I had frequent nightmares about the sky darkening with millions of metallic teardrops. I was starting to burn out, and I decided to extricate myself from the situation before I had a nervous breakdown. It wasn't good for my mental health, and ultimately, I couldn't provide the answers the Bureau was looking for. All I was doing was creating more questions. 
I gave my notes to my colleagues and I tendered my resignation. I hoped that would put an end to my deteriorating mental state. The problem is, once you've seen something, you can't unsee it. I had always been a skeptic on the subject of alien encounters. This experience shattered my view of the universe and how it works, and it left me with a nagging feeling of existential dread. I couldn't focus on my work anymore. I started behaving erratically during my lectures. I would trail off in mid-sentence and stare blankly out into the lecture hall for minutes at a time. My research notes were a hot mess, and I was irritable with my postgraduate students. My mental state created a lot of gossip among the faculty about what I might have been up to during my leave of absence. In the end, the head of the department called me into his office and recommended that it might be best if I take another leave of absence and sort a few things out. I agreed it would probably be for the best. To be honest, I didn't care. I had no intention of coming back. None of it seemed very important anymore. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. For the next few years, I made a comfortable living by tutoring physics students from the comfort of my home, and I took a stab at writing a book. It wasn't a scholarly work. It was actually an attempt at a sci-fi adventure, and it wasn't very good. I still have a lot of deep-seated anxiety about my time as a consultant for Redwood Bureau, and I was looking for ways to cope that weren't self-destructive. Even so, I secretly wished they would contact me with some new information about our enemy in the skies preferably something more substantial than just imagination and educated guesswork. And then, one morning in the fall of 2004, there was a knock at my door. I thought my morning tutoring appointment was early for their lesson, but I found an agent from Redwood Bureau standing there on my porch. I recognized him as the same man who dropped an envelope full of money on my desk back in the late 90s. I felt my heart skip a beat in my chest. He said, 
Sorry to intrude, but there's been a new development. The Bureau would really appreciate your thoughts on the matter. I canceled the rest of my tutoring appointments for the day as soon as he left. I felt almost sick with a mixture of excitement and anxiety. My repressed fears had come knocking on my door, and there was nothing I could do but go back and face them head on. I was chauffeured to Rutherford Heights that afternoon. I was ushered to the same boardroom and was promptly presented with the same non-disclosure agreement. There weren't as many people in the room this time, but I saw some familiar faces. I guess I'm not the only one who was having trouble sleeping at night. When you seek the truth about the nature of the universe for a living, unanswered questions become the bane of your existence. When Mr. Jones came in with several agents trailing behind him, I was shocked by how much he'd aged in just a few years. I can't imagine living beneath the weight of all the dangerous secrets that man had to carry around with him. The burden was obviously wearing him down. He asked us to take a seat and got straight to the point. He gave us a humorless smile and said, We're pretty sure we found them. He told us Redwood Bureau had obtained classified evidence of an encounter between Voyager 2 and an unidentified object near the planet Neptune. The pictures and the associated data had been suppressed in the interest of public security. Fourteen years later, their existence was uncovered by an agent of Redwood Bureau. I'm not sure how they successfully negotiated for the release of these documents, but I have a feeling blackmail was involved. The Bureau gets what they want, by any means necessary. Mr. Jones asked one of his agents to dim the lights. He turned on a projector and said, The images speak for themselves. The first slide was a picture of Neptune, still looming large in the distance after Voyager had made its pass. A dark, circular mass could be seen passing in front of the blue gas giant. The next picture was a close-up of the black circle, which appeared to be textured in a honeycomb pattern. It was surrounded by a scattered halo of much smaller objects that were either entering or exiting the larger one. In the third image, the circular mass had become translucent in appearance. I could see the peaceful blue of Neptune's cloud cover shining through it, almost like a bedsheet over a flashlight. In the fourth slide, only a very faint outline of the object could be seen against Neptune. It had become nearly invisible. A well-respected professor of astrobiology slowly raised his hand, like a confused pupil in a grade school science class, and he asked, What in God's name is happening in these pictures? Explain this, please. Mr. Jones could only shake his head and mutter, It appears the object became transparent to hide from Voyager's cameras, but we're not entirely sure how. Someone called out, Well, it could be an optical effect created by mirrors. And then everyone in the boardroom started talking at once. The discussion quickly grew heated. Everyone was shaken to the core by what we had just seen. We were all trying our best to rationalize the irrational. You could have cut the tension in the room with a knife. Mr. Jones let us argue amongst ourselves for a bit, and then he clapped his hands together to get our attention. He told us the object was approximately 30 miles in diameter, and Voyager's magnetometer had detected the presence of a strong magnetosphere. This created another stir around the room. It was highly unlikely a natural structure of that size would be able to generate an appreciable magnetic field. If it was artificial, the most obvious reason for its existence was for protection from harmful cosmic radiation. Scientists here on Earth have been discussing the possibility of creating an artificial magnetosphere for many years. For us, this concept is still trapped in the realm of science fiction. For them, 
It's a science reality. Mr. Jones held up his hands to quell the excitement and clicked over to a fifth slide, which was a close-up of the object's curving edge. The outer surface of the object was coated in a matrix of small, bubble-shaped cells. It appeared that a number of them were being ejected into space. He clicked to the next slide, showing us a cropped and color-corrected enhancement of an ejected cell. The picture was blurry despite the enhancement, but we could see the cell was a dull silver in color and shaped like a teardrop. It looked very much like the farmer's description of the metallic balloons in the police report. The room was silent as a tomb. We all stared at the image in horrified fascination. Someone murmured, Well, Mr. Jones, there it is. You found it. Now what? Mr. Jones gave him a blank stare and said, Me? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm hoping one of you can come up with the answer. No one quite knew what to say to that. We were all thinking the same thing. There would be no think tank resolution for this problem. Not today, and not any time in the foreseeable future. The astrobiologist turned to me and asked, Well, what do you think? Is this the space arc you were speaking of last time? I shook my head at my colleague and said, No, that's not the arc. It's too big to be practical. This thing? I have no idea what it is. Now, a space-worthy construction of such an immense size is honestly pretty mind-boggling. To put this in perspective, try to imagine a cube that towers a mile in the air. Just imagine it, this gigantic cube stretching as far and wide as the eye can see. You could fit more than 14,000 of these cubes inside the object by Neptune. To call this a feat of engineering, it's, well, it's a vast understatement. I can hardly imagine the amount of material and energy that was needed for the construction of this behemoth. The human race is many, many centuries away from being able to pull off something of this magnitude. At this point, we're still having trouble launching rockets into space. Mr. Jones gave me a profoundly tired look and murmured, Who are they exactly? That's what we really need to know. I thought over my answer for a moment, and then I gave him my honest opinion. I could see he didn't like it very much, but as far as I'm concerned, it was the cold and plain truth. I told him the sphere should be regarded as a slumbering god. We don't know if the god's intentions would be good or evil if it awoke from its slumber, and it would be best if we never found out. The identity of its creators hardly mattered, because it was doubtful we'd be capable of understanding a single aspect of their existence. Only a hive mind society with near-complete AI integration could achieve this level of engineering. If we could meet these beings face to face, if they even possess a physical feature we could identify as a face, we simply would not be able to communicate with them. In fact, the end result could easily be the death of our human representatives, be it accidental or entirely on purpose. An insect can't even begin to understand the concept of an automobile, but the insect's ignorance won't protect it from being splattered across the windshield. And what would happen if this newly awakened deity in the void turned a wrathful gaze to the inner solar system? What would become of us then? I'm not convinced they were even aware of our existence before the Voyager mission. The vast majority of the shed material would be captured by Neptune's gravity. If any of the metallic pods were able to avoid being sucked into Neptune's upper atmosphere, it was wildly unlikely they would find their way to planet Earth. The incident in Iowa wasn't an act of aggression. It was simply a random, one-in-a-billion fluke that may never happen again throughout the duration of humanity's reign of this planet. Conversely, there might be another landing tomorrow. No matter how unlikely it is that a rare event will repeat itself, 
There's always a chance it will happen again. Statistics aren't an all-encompassing edict on reality. They're merely a guide to what you might expect in the future. I finished by saying, never attempt to awaken a slumbering god, Mr. Jones. That's not a professional opinion. That's just common sense. Mr. Jones fixed me with a flat, smoldering glare and growled. So what are you saying? Should we just cross our fingers and hope this godshed of yours never finds its way to Earth again? I shrugged at him and said, Anything else would be extremely unwise. It seems they currently have no motivation to directly interfere with us. We should hope and even pray that it remains this way for many centuries to come, because we're nowhere near ready for that encounter. He stared at me for an uncomfortably long time. Then he asked one final question. In your opinion, what is the purpose of Godshed? I was intimidated by the intensity of his gaze, but I still answered as honestly as I could. I told him, it could be a waste product, but to be honest, I don't think either one of us could understand the real answer. I guess you'd have to ask them yourself, but I don't recommend it. Two of his agents took me by each arm and ushered me out of the room. I was driven home and handed $10,000 in an unmarked envelope. The last thing they said to me was, Remember the non-disclosure agreement. I'm likely putting myself in danger for talking to you, but this story needs to be told. People need to understand they live under a false sense of security. In reality, we're defenseless and nearly blind out here in the darkness. We only exist because we're small and quiet. In my opinion, we would be wise to keep it this way. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All physical evidence from the incident in Iowa is being held in a top-secret location by Redwood Bureau. Making contact with Godshed is a death sentence, even if it's contact through secondary sources of contamination. Even a small concentration of its fumes in the air will make your lungs melt inside your chest, effectively drowning you in your own liquefied flesh. It is considered by Redwood Bureau to be one of the five most deadly substances known to humanity, both in terms of immediate effects and long-term damage to the environment. Drone footage of the landing site in Iowa shows that, to this day, nothing will grow within the contamination zones, and despite efforts to contain them, the zones appear to be expanding. 
Beyond the dangers posed by the possibility, albeit slim, of more godshed landings in the future, there is also the undefined and existential threat of the object beyond Neptune. A slumbering god, created by a civilization far more technologically advanced than us, for reasons we can only begin to speculate upon. As previously stated by Dr. Thomas, an encounter with this object or its creators could potentially result in the total extermination of life on our planet. However, Redwood Bureau came to believe the best course of action is constant, direct observation. God help us all, if it sets its sights on Earth. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one. Redwood Bureau.